So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. Today, uh, it being Divine Message Sunday, uh, we decided that we would invite someone in to just to remind us again what Divine Mercy is all about, maybe a little bit about the history and a little reflection on it. So it's great for us to welcome on to the, our podcast again today. Louise O'Rourke, Sister Louise O'Rourke from Dublin. How are you? Good morning, John. Good to be here. Thanks a lot indeed for joining us, uh, Sister. Um, Sister Louise, I know you, you, you've got a certain interest with Divine Mercy yourself. So maybe before we start, just for some of our listeners who mightn't really have a clue, uh, a little bit maybe about the history of what is Divine Mercy, how did it all start, and so on and so forth. It's all over to you. Sure. Well, actually, my congregation that I belong to is actually called the Disciples of the Divine Master. But so often we get letters that are addressed to the disciples of the Divine Mercy. And for years, we used to be very annoyed with this. Why can they not get our name right? But as time went on, we felt, well, you know what? We'll take it. <laughs> you know, you can't go wrong with Divine Mercy. And just different circumstances throughout the years, we found ourselves being more and more involved in promoting Divine Mercy, even though it wouldn't kind of specifically be our own charism, but just through the prayer groups that use our chapel, and then there's an annual Divine Mercy Conference in Dublin that draws quite a large number. It's become something very dear to us. So it's it's a it's a very privilege to be able to explain a little about the Divine Mercy to people that mightn't be familiar. Um, I suppose I can share just from a, a personal um, experience that I, growing up, I wouldn't have had much exposure to the Divine Mercy, but my aunt who would be quite religious, used to go to different um, shrines and that. And when I was 18, I had already kind of decided to join the convent. And my my little brother, who was about 10 years at that stage, went down to the religious bookshop and said, my sister's going to be a nun and she likes to read. I need the book, biggest book you have. And the, the man in the shop said, well, we have the diary of St. Faustina. And it has about two and a half thousand pages. So that should keep her going. And that in a way was my first real exposure to the diary of St. Faustina. And that in a way serves as a little introduction to explain what is the Divine Mercy. Because um, this nun, St. Faustina, was very much, well, actually, she's given the title of Secretary of Divine Mercy. Because when... She was, she was a young sister and she was based in Poland and she started having these visions of, of Jesus, um, very real visions and Jesus spoke to her and she had these images. She had an image in her heart and her head of what this Jesus was and through the help of her spiritual director and over a number of years, she started to write down all these conversations, spiritual conversations and it's become known now as the Diary of St. Faustina or Divine Mercy Diary. And as the title gives away, it's very much all about the mercy of God. And this was kind of a new thing in the church because um, if even some of our older generations, you know, God was kind of, he was a punishing God. He was a judgmental God, often kind of a God of the Old Testament. And here you have this young sister in the 1930s when the world was kind of on the rise of fascism and communism and just after the first major world war 
you've got this young nun talking about mercy and forgiveness that Jesus has given these message. So um, it wasn't well accepted and her own nuns, no more than many of the saints in the church, um, the people didn't believe her. Her own sisters in community found it very hard to believe that she was having these visions of Jesus. Um, and many of the saints had the same experience, but she persevered and she had a very good spiritual director who is now also on, on the way to canonization but again, many listeners might know the image of Jesus' mercy and actually not know what it is. And it's it's an image of Jesus in like a white garment and there's two rays coming from, from him. It's a, a red ray and a blue ray and they're coming out of the heart of Jesus. And then underneath it's, it has the words, Jesus, I trust in you. And often when Jesus appeared to St. Faustina, these were the words, Know, that it was about bringing this message of mercy to the world, a world that very much needed healing and to restore really a proper understanding of the sanctity and dignity of human life. And we're, we're about 10 years after the First World War and little did York know that we're on the cusp of the Second World War at that stage in the 30s when Faustina was having these, these visions. So as the years went on, Faustina died as a young sister in her 30s. And for years, actually, the Divine Mercy prayers and the image were banned in the church because, um, like many things, it takes time for devotions and prayers to mature. And I remember even some of our own older sisters, they'll talk about when you know, they entered the convent, they weren't allowed to have the image of um, Divine Mercy Jesus and that. But as, as time went on, like again, like many things, the church began to understand that this truly was authentic. And then in the year 2000, Pope, uh, he's now Saint Pope John Paul II, canonized Saint Faustina. And the same year also announced that um, the second Sunday of Easter, which is today, would be the Divine Mercy Sunday. And this was also one of the messages that our Lord gave to Saint Faustina when she was at prayer that he, he clearly indicated that it would be that eight day after Easter that would be established as Divine Mercy Sunday. So when Pope John Paul II canonized Faustina, he was also fulfilling in a way that request of Faustina that uh, the second Sunday of Easter would be reserved to honor and commemorate the infinite gift of God's mercy. That's a little of kind of the history and how it, how it came forth. Yeah. I think maybe maybe just one, one small little comment there, I suppose, for some of us, uh, it would seem strange that uh, the Divine Mercy um, was actually banned, for want of a better word, <laughs> stopped from being participated, not encouraged by the church. Sounds a little bit unusual, but then that happens, does it? It does, and at times it's, sometimes it's about the, the messenger sometimes it's about the message and i think like that because faustina was a young woman she had had her difficulties in the convent in the she was with the congregations of our lady of mercy and i suppose they wanted to try and understand well was she well mentally were these figments of her imagination uh, as time went on like that um Father Sabotsko, who was her spiritual director, was able to 
say, no, these were authentic because even when she was tried, she did, she still persevered and uh, she could see also the fruits of her prayers that um, paradoxically the suffering came with the message that even though she'd be the messenger of the message of mercy, that she too would be the vessel of mercy and be very aware of her own weakness. So it took time for the church to mature and We've seen that in other places as well, be it with Marian shrines or places of operation, even the lives of the saints. Um, like I know in my own congregation, we were founded in 1924. And in 1947, we were declared um, extinct by the, by the Vatican because they said you're too like another congregation that exists. So it's like in the gospel, say the grain of wheat falls into the ground eyes to bring forth fruit and the suffering that Faustina had and probably some generations afterwards of those who prayed to the divine mercy that were restricted by the church from praying it. It was like that seed that fell into the ground and would bear great fruit because nowadays I think a lot of people are familiar with this prayer of divine mercy and there's some very beautiful experiences that people have, especially say it's known now as a deathbed prayer. So um, often if somebody's dying, people will pray what's known as the chaplet of divine mercy. And also it's kind of become associated with like three o'clock is often the time that the divine mercy is prayed because three o'clock is the time we remember the death of Jesus. So um, I I had the blessing to live in Poland for a year and I, I worked at home for elderly priests and every day at three o'clock we'd go down to the chapel and pray the chaplet and often throughout Poland like we'd stop at six o'clock for the Angelus or at twelve o'clock um, people would stop at three o'clock and they'd say the chaplet of divine mercy very conscious of people also that might be dying and need those special prayers and it's become known kind of as the hour of mercy so three o'clock would be the hour of mercy a little bit about the actual chaplet itself sure. it? yeah and um, again it's maybe throughout the years i i didn't appreciate it as, as i should have but the experience of living in poland but also again of um, going to the divine mercy conference out in dublin i came to know and love the chaplet and it's it's a rosary based prayer in the sense that you you pray it on a rosary beads and it has different prayers that you pray along now it's a bit shorter than a rosary so so it might suit people that find it hard maybe to focus and concentrate to pray the the rosary but it has a series of prayers that again just draw us into the mystery of the mercy of god and the image that Faustina had again was this blood and water that that went forth from the side of Christ as an ocean of mercy. So it's like we might find it hard to understand it because we think of blood gushing, we think of somebody dying, or whereas it's a very biblical image, and especially at the moment, it's a very paschal image because it brings us back also to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And when they pierced his side, that blood and water came forth and the church was born from the side of Christ. So in the chaplet, there's these short prayers that are prayed repetitively. But this they start off and I, I might just read the, 
two or three short prayers because it just focuses us again on what the feast is about. So it's, it's sort of you pray it on a rosary beads, but it starts before you get into kind of like the decades, so to speak. Um, it says, you expire Jesus, but the source of life gushed forth for souls and the ocean of mercy opened up for the whole world. O fount of life, unfathomable divine mercy, envelop the whole world and empty yourself out upon us. And then there's another prayer that said three times, O blood and water, which gush forth from the heart of Jesus, as a fount of mercy for us, I trust in you. And that I trust in you, when you see the image of the divine mercy, and Jesus will always have that underneath them. Um, just very simple prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. Um, and then afterwards it goes on and we pray, Eternal Father, I offer you the body and blood, soul and divinity of your dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in atonement for our sins and those of the whole world. And even that little two-line prayer, it's very much it's the prayer of offering because we're praying for ourselves. But when you read the, the diary of St. Faustina, Jesus' message is very much, it's about the salvation of the whole world. So anytime he spoke to Faustina, it was, wasn't just about saving Faustina and her nuns. It was very much, she was going to be the instrument of divine mercy to help this broken world. First of all, acknowledge that they needed mercy and then ask for it and that, that was kind of that little two-line prayer there kind of encompasses that sense of we're sinners but we're redeemed sinners but we need to ask for that gift of, of mercy and then on the the beads of our rosary we say it ten times um, for the sake of a sorrowful passion have mercy on us and on the whole world and often it's prayed kind of in a litanic form so a guide will lead it just like we do with the rosary, somebody would pray the first part of the Hail Mary and then um, others would pray the second part. So it's a very, I find it a very soothing prayer, you know, that um, I commute a lot on the bus and sometimes it can be hard to focus to say the whole rosary, but sometimes I just find myself going to the, the chapters of Divine Mercy and asking the mercy of God upon the city of Dublin and the people I see that are getting on and off the bus and and other times, just to be able to, in times of difficulty, just say that prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. I, I had, again, the privilege of nursing an elderly priest in Poland, and his only request was that when he was dying, that we would pray the chaplet. And for his last 15 minutes of his life, he just kept on praying that, um, Jesus, I trust in you. And then it slowly, his breath just stopped. And it was just such a, a beautiful image of, it reminded me of Jesus on the cross, handing over his spirit um, in that spirit of trust, even though there had been the suffering and the difficulty of accepting death, which we all do have. But in that, that priest on his deathbed, it was a very peaceful experience of death because it was into that merciful embrace of God. In a very short period, sometimes people say, I don't know how to pray, but even just to be able to say, Jesus, I trust in you. And he looks after the rest. I suppose the one thing uh, the, the, the one thing comes to mind for myself uh, as a difference to the to the rosary with the rosary, there's always a mystery to, to sort of contemplate on. 
Whereas with the divine mercy, you're, you've only really got those words to concentrate on. Isn't that right? That's true. And it's the message. It's the message of mercy. Um, now, there's, again, it's true, you have a mystery to contemplate, but often there's an intention as well. So at the moment, um, in the lead up to Divine Mercy Sunday, which, which we have now, there is a novena which begins on Good Friday. And the church has kind of established that each day there will be a different group of people that we particularly pray for. But that, in a way, gives us a focus. It's not quite maybe the mystery, too, but it gives a different category, like, say, sinners who feel they have no hope or souls in purgatory or people who have become lukewarm in faith. Um, another day we're asked to pray for the souls of Catholic priests and religious souls of those separated from the church um, and it just reminds us again that this gift of mercy isn't something we keep for ourselves that it's in a way the communion of saints and those who are still in purgatory and the church that's still on pilgrimage that we all join together in the gift of God's mercy um, and it's it always strikes me that um, during Lent we're kind of focusing on the father as the merciful one and if you remember a few years ago, we had the year of mercy and there was that kind of image that it's the father with the son kind of nearly draped over his shoulder, um, echoing that icon of the, the prodigal, what we call the prodigal son. Some countries, they call it the prodigal father. But this oneness that the father and son became one because the mercy that the father offers to this wayward son was just so great. And that's kind of an icon for Lent. And then we move into the octave of Easter and we're asked to reflect on Jesus as the merciful one. So and we know the Father, the Son and the Spirit are one in the Trinity. But it, I always just thought it was interesting how it wasn't just a coincidence that Divine Mercy Sunday was in the Easter octave, that there was a reasoning behind it and also very much in tune with the liturgical calendar and just the daily pilgrimage of the readings that we read and also helping our own catechetical journey of understanding like the Father, the Son and the Spirit as one together. So it gives us that beautiful icon of Jesus as mercy. And then later on in a few weeks, we'll have the spirit of Pentecost who also will give us gift of mercy as we reflect on the fruits as well and the gifts of the Spirit. And are there, is there a, a closing prayer as well for the Divine Mercy Chaplet? Um, there is, and again, it's it still continues that theme of asking that whole mercy would come upon the whole world. And Jesus, I trust in you is the conclusion of the Divine Mercy Chaplet and it's to feel is kind of the last words on our breath is that act of trust. It was, you know, people kind of say, well, how did we get these prayers? The the prayers I read there and the short ones there were communicated in prayer to Faustina from our Lord. Now, people can be skeptical maybe about visions and dialogues like that, and that's okay. 
Um, and that's where I suppose the deposit of faith that we have and even the scriptures and everything we say, well, how do we know they really came from these people? That's really what Jesus said. But um, we trust that these are words that are given to us to help us on our faith journey. And those words of the prayers were given to her and said she was asked by her spiritual director to write down everything. And that culminated in those thousands of pages of a diary. And it's something that maybe when I have time, I'd love to do is to go through the diary. I'm sure you can do it easily now with online. Um, but even just to count how many times the word mercy is in the, the diary of Hostina or even in the, in the Bible, where we talk about the phrase, do not be afraid, you is in the scriptures 365 times so that's the time for every day but I'd love to to love to do that little exercise of well how often does the word mercy and even the mercy in the old testament which was understood a bit differently and then mercy in the new testament and that the mercy in the new testament is almost a pact of love that that comes from the deepest part of the being it's that it's nearly like the the groaning of labor that um, it's something really from within. It's not just um, something very superficial. It draws us deeper into that mercy. Is there also an image of the divine mercy too? Isn't there? Are the two rays? So the the image of divine mercy, and actually, we were traveling over these past few days with some sisters who had arrived in Ireland over the past few months in my own community, and. They were very surprised that at different parts, kind of on the motorways, and um, that there's this image of Jesus, divine mercy, with the words, Jesus, I trust in you, because they just, they say, oh, you'd never see this in our country. And it's that image, again, that many people probably have passed by, and it's, it's Jesus, he's standing upright, and he's got the white garb or the white robe of what we call it, it's an Easter glow in a way. The, and that's when somebody's baptized or received into the church, they wear a white robe because it's that new life, that purity. So Jesus has that and then the two rays that are coming from, from his heart as well. Usually kind of a, a reddy, slightly brown, depending on the depiction, and um, blue as well. And symbolic of the blood and the water that came forth, and that's also in the prayer that the, the blood and water came forth from the, the side of Jesus um, for the salvation of the whole world. And his hand, his left hand is touching his heart, which again is a very biblical image because the heart is not just um, an organ in the body, but in, in the biblical world, the heart was kind of the seat of wisdom. It wasn't the head that was the wise part. It was the intellectual that was in the head. The heart was really the wisdom of the experience of knowing the divine, but also the heart was what pumped the blood around the body. So it was the life source as well. Um, also, the blood was coming from the heart. So we all know if you're, if you're bleeding out, <laughs> if you can't stop it. And, but it was the blood that would be the salvation of the world. And at Easter, we have the image of the lamb as well, the Paschal lamb, because it's the lamb that Isaiah speaks of, the lamb that was slain 
that was the victim in um, reparation for sins. But this merciful Jesus reminds us that the blood that comes forth from Jesus isn't just leaving him. Um, it's the blood that we're washed in. And also for many people, that's a hard image to contemplate because it's an uncomfortable image. But again, it's the life. We think of blood flowing through our bodies. We think of life flowing through our bodies. So, and, and that's the image. And originally when Faustina tried to communicate that image to an artist, she wasn't happy with it because what was depicted wasn't the Jesus that she had experienced and that she became very frustrated and angry even. And so it, it, I think it took a second image for it to be the one that we know now traditionally as the divine mercy image. And that's housed in Lithuania, as far as I can remember. I haven't seen it, but again, familiar with the image. And, you know, it's, it's an image of great peace. It's in a way a little bit similar to the Sacred Heart in its depiction. You know, it's um, but the heart and the mercy, they're all linked together. And, and these are all sacramentals that help us come closer to our faith and deeper in our relationship with Jesus. So over the years, the church has come to use them as tools and instruments to catechize people. So um, even when Back in 2000, when Pope John Paul II had declared Faustina a saint and announced it um, later on, Pope Benedict, um, Emeritus Pope, when he would explain um, why, why did John Paul wait with so many years or why did he do it during the Jubilee year? Because Jubilee years often, in the, the Old Testament, there were a time where people were freed from sin. So he thought it was the opportune moment to really, and again, remember Pope John Paul II also was Polish, so he would have grown up with it, whether he was able to pray it freely because he was already in Rome or he was praying it hiddenly because the church hadn't approved it. But in a way, it was in his DNA there already. So people might call it opportunist, but we call it providence because we would Maybe we wouldn't have the great devotions now we have to divine mercy if we didn't have a Polish Pope at that time. So, but he, but he explained it, um, Pope John Paul II, he said, from the pierced side of Christ came blood and water. And now that Christ is risen from the living Christ, bring the Easter sacraments of baptism and Eucharist. And those who approach baptism and Eucharist receive the gift of eternal life. And he was recalling again those two rays in the image that Faustina had, that the blood and the water were also symbolic of the baptism and Eucharist because we're baptized in waters that regenerate us and bring us into the Christian community. And then in Eucharist, we receive the body and blood of Jesus. So again, the sacrifice that we commemorate at the Last Supper, again, involves blood and which we take and when we receive communion, we receive body and blood of Christ. So the image also reflects that, the, the sacraments of the church. And so I suppose that that might come, bring, bring us really to um, to Divine Mercy Sunday itself. And there's certain liturgy and there's certain 
I mean, it, it's a big day, for instance, now for many people to go to the sacrament of reconciliation and confession. Do you want to share some thoughts on that, please? Yeah. Um, and again, you kind of say, well, during, usually on Easter Saturday, Holy Saturday, you'd traditionally go to confession before Easter and also during the Tridium. So why is there such an emphasis just one week later? It's like we're maybe regressing because if we've just celebrated that Jesus is risen and now this focus on penance and mercy. But mercy is something to be celebrated. It's not about beating our breasts and say, oh, we're, we're sinners and we keep our head down. Um, we're an Easter people precisely because the Lord is risen. We're an Easter people precisely because the Lord died on the cross, but it did not stop there. So the gift of mercy we mark on the eighth day. And that's a very biblical thing as well, that the eighth day is And because of the link of Jesus asking Faustina that divine mercy would be celebrated on the second Sunday of Easter, as you say, it's now become kind of a big feast and many churches will have the devotions. Thankfully, this year we'll be able to gather in person. So um, many parishes at three o'clock this or the Sunday of Divine Mercy will have availability of confession. They'll usually pray the Divine Mercy chaplet in its entirety, have some reflections, and then they'll have the Mass of Divine Mercy. And the lovely thing is, it's not that there's a special liturgy or anything for Divine Mercy Sunday. It's the liturgy of the second Sunday of Easter. And it fits perfectly, and more rather, um, the liturgy was there before the feast was there so just shows us the gift of the liturgical year to us as well and the second Sunday of Easter usually the church traditionally remembers the first appearance of Jesus to his disciples after the resurrection and even just looking at the gospel you can see that it's that encounter of Jesus with the, the disciples who are closed in the upper room and he comes to them and the first things he does is them the gift of peace. And we know that at the time Thomas isn't there. Um, so we have often this Sunday, actually in the, in the Orthodox Church, uh, when they have this gospel, they call it um, Doubting Sunday, because you have the figure of Thomas who is remembered more for that rather than for the profession of faith. when he says, my Lord, my God, but... It's a very human reaction. Sometimes we remember the worst rather than the better. But in that Gospel of John, when Jesus encounters the disciples, he says, receive the Holy Spirit for those whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And for those whose sins you retain, they are retained. And that's anyway, how it's linked as well with the Divine Mercy Sunday and the idea of trying to encourage people to go to confession. Um, if they haven't had the opportunity to prepare before Easter, but also in that atmosphere of you know, we're all redeemed sinners and that Faustina's diary and her message of mercy from Jesus, the merciful one, is there for everybody. So um, I do say it's nearly like the second chance of, of Easter already that we have this option that we can try and really help people be unburdened of their sin, I think, and their sense of 
what separates them from God rather than what connects them with God, because it's very hard to be that Easter people if you're still locked in the tomb with your own sin and your own kind of navel gazing. But it's the opportunity to look upwards and to receive that gift of peace. And that's how the liturgy really complements the feast, because it focuses us on peace and mercy. And when we receive the mercy of God, we're at peace. Yeah, um, because we're restored to that harmony that the sacrament gives us. Because when we go for the sacrament of reconciliation, even the word itself, we're reconciled, first of all, with ourselves, because we've been able to say, you know what, my life isn't completely on track, but I'm able to go before our God of mercy. It restores that relationship with him, with God as well. And in turn, it's restoring that relationship with my brothers and sisters, because if you're at odds with yourself and with the Lord, inevitably you're going to be at odds with people around you because you're just uneasy in yourself, because that's what sin does. It divides, it separates. Um, and we have that sense of peace then from receiving the gift of mercy, knowing that we will fall again, but that we can we can go back again. And that's, that's the beautiful thing of the gospel because it talks about the encounter with Thomas and Thomas wants to place his hand in the side of Jesus, I believe, because he says, until I see the holes and put my hand in his side, I won't believe. And when you think of that image of divine mercy and the rays coming forth and the pierced side of Christ for the blood and the water come forth, it's the same Christ in that encounter with the disciples and Thomas. It's the same woundedness that brings forth the church. And Jesus like Jesus could have easily appeared to the disciples without the wounds of the experience of Good Friday. So he was Jesus and God was God, but it was that reminder to the disciples that um, the journey that Jesus went on, which we commemorate during Holy Week, and leaves signs, it leaves scars. And it was his way of showing it was still him. And and I think as Christians and as Catholics and as as humans, we all carry those scars of life and the woundedness. And sometimes the hardest wounds and the scars are the ones inside that nobody can see. And they remind us of times that were difficult, and yet they're the reminder that we still came through them. And Jesus precedes us in that because his wounds are glorified wounds. And sometimes you see some very beautiful depictions of the resurrected Christ, and they'll they'll have the wounds maybe painted gold. Um, and, and all these little things are incorporated into the Easter liturgy, because if you had the opportunity to go to the Easter vigil, you would, if you have the opportunity also then to be there when, before um, the vigil actually starts, you usually light the Paschal fire and the priest will make five incisions in the Paschal candle and that's remembering the five wounds of Christ. And he, usually there's the five grains of incense that are pushed into it and the words Alpha and Omega, or the beginning and the end, and the year. And it's saying that Christ, who is the beginning and the end, 
is present with us here and now in 2022, and that's represented in his Paschal candle, which is used for funerals and for different events in the parish. And it's reminding us as well that, you know, that light of Christ that's brought then with the candle is still breaking into our woundedness and our darkness. And the liturgy this Sunday talks about um, Christ as the, the Alpha and the Omega, the one who comes to help to bring that life without end. And we'll hear that all in the liturgy this week and the little connections all come together. Do you know, that, that that's very comprehensive. Thanks a lot so much, uh, Sister Louise. If somebody wanted to learn or recap again, uh, is there any sort of website maybe they can go to, to maybe to to listen to the Divine Mercy? I know it's it's sung, isn't that right, in, in some? Sometimes people, I, I, I did connection a little bit, but I think I, I heard what you were saying, but the Divine Mercy Chaplet, if, you, if you're not familiar with it, you could maybe join a group and to hear them pray it. But if you go to YouTube or that, there's some lovely renditions of the chaplet of Divine Mercy being sung. But it's a very gentle, sort of kind of a soothing prayer, and it's very repetitive as well, and it carries you along and introduces you into that space of, of requesting mercy and asking for the gift, also praying that mercy upon the whole world. Um, I just I thought there was one other little thing, John, that when... I was looking back over the diary of Faustina, something struck me that just in the the diary of St. Faustina, there's a part of it where she she has this image or a reflection where she can see a city being invaded. And these are in the years after the First World War. So obviously as a child, she would have experienced the war and when she goes to prayer troubled, Jesus says to her, pray the mercy prayer. And she prays this and she can see the troops retreating and the soldiers turning back. And she said, maybe, you know, now is the time also to pray the gift of mercy upon the whole of Europe and the whole of the world, really ask her for the gift of peace that, especially in the places that are ravaged, and have been destroyed, that we could pray God's mercy into those situations, knowing that with him nothing is impossible. And also because this Sunday for us is Divine Mercy Sunday, but our Eastern Rite Catholics and our Orthodox brothers and sisters will be celebrating Easter. So their calendar is a little bit different. So we're very much united with them as we pray for for the gift of peace and also for mercy upon the whole world. So maybe um, just to wrap it up, um, your final thoughts maybe, or message of divine mercy for us? Even that little prayer, Jesus, I trust in you, it, it opens the door to mercy and we can never underestimate it because it's just saying, Lord, I need you and that your mercy is so immense and the image that Faustina had it's an ocean of mercy and I live near the sea here so often when I go there and I go for my walk and I see this ocean and I think that's how vast the Lord's mercy is um, and we just have to kind of dive into it and, and receive the gift of it and spread it to others because so many people are afraid like they have 
this fear of a God who will punish, who's judging, who's watching out for them to yeah. mess up. But our, our God is a God of mercy, and we can see that in Jesus. You know, the gift of Jesus is mercy incarnate, and, and that's our Easter gift. It's a resurrected Jesus who went to the cross, but didn't stay there, that rose from the dead so that he could keep telling us he's mercy and that the Father is merciful. Sister Louise, thanks a lot for your time. Very comprehensive and we certainly learnt a lot. Uh, and I think you left us with some beautiful thoughts, especially that that beautiful little three words, Jesus, I trust in you. Maybe just to finish off our chat today, have you got a piece of music you'd like us to play uh, at the end of this part of our podcast, please? I thought there's a, there's a piece of music from a musician called Matt Marr, and he it's not exactly related to the theme of mercy but it's an easter song and it's called christ is risen from the dead and it just helps us again appreciate the what the resurrection is and it brings us forth burst forth into the new life of easter so that's my my hope my prayer for anybody who's listening that that easter joy and life may just really permeate your life and let us all be an easter people and celebrate the joy of being a resurrected people. Hallelujah. Thank you so much indeed, Sister Louisa. And may we be here and come and see inspirations. Um, wish you every blessing and joy for the rest of this Easter season and, of course, beyond. Thanks, John. Thanks for having Thanks me Thanks again for coming in. Thanks, Sister God Louise. God bless. Church, oh, 
Christ is risen from the dead, trampling over the spiders. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Christ is risen from the dead, we are one with him again. Come awake, come awake, come and rise up from the grave. Oh, death, where is your sting? 